0: Hi, my name's uh, Dr Simon Hendel, I'm from uh, the Monash University Perioperative uh, Masters and today I'm, I'm joined by uh, Heather Cleland who's a plastic surgeon and the head of the Victorian Adult Burns Service at the Alfred Hospital in Melbourne and she is an expert in burns care uh, and is going to speak to us today about burns. Heather, thanks very much for joining us. Thanks, Simon. Um, so Heather, I'll, I'll kick it off. Um, what, what do you think is the the biggest change in perioperative burn management that you've seen over your career?
1: Uh, well, as we just discussed, I've been uh, treating burns patients now for about 15 years. And the main change in that time with respect to perioperative management, I think, has been our move to um, early Uh, excision, burn wound excision of patients with severe burns. So a severe burn is uh, what we uh, consider would potentially produce systemic effects. So around about 20% total body surface area burn.
0: when you say... 20% Twenty percent, or, or when you refer to total body surface area, wh- what sort of burn are you talking about? What what depth of burn or severity of burn classifies as total body surface area of, of included in the total body surface area?
1: The total body surface area estimate includes uh, superficial and right through to full thickness burns, so the the whole um, range of depth, but not simple erythema. So essentially from anyone who's got a blistering superficial burn to full thickness burn. And um, so
0: if I've understood you correctly, the biggest change that you've witnessed is that as opposed to delayed wound care, now there is a, a strong move towards early uh, wound debridement of, of burns over 20%?
1: Yes, and, and that really refers to deep burns that are... Um, more than 20% total body surface area. So the idea is that, um, well, in, in our unit, we would try to get a patient to theatre straight from the emergency department and resuscitate the patient during the surgical excision of um, all of the deep burn.
0: And um, is, is there an easily identifiable reason as to why that shift in practice has occurred over the time that you've been working in burn care?
1: Yes, it's always difficult to get uh, a lot of very um, robust clinical evidence for these um, changes, in, in, especially in areas that are as complex as burn care. But um, there is a pretty good uh, indication that if the burn wound is excised early, that there is uh, decreased systemic effects, so um, attenuated systemic inflammatory response, and then decreased uh, inf- infectious complications, and as well as that the length of stay, as you'd expect, is um, significantly decreased if you're not sitting around waiting for your treatment to start.
0: Okay. Okay. Um, Fluid management is also is another area of burn care that, particularly in the initial reception uh, or resuscitation of um, acute severe burns, is something that gets talked about a lot in um, certainly sort of resuscitation courses and some of the the um, you know guidelines that exist for the acute management of burns. Do you think there's has there been much change in the approach to fluid resuscitation um, over the time you've been looking
1: after burn care? Uh, well, I don't think there's been any great advances. I mean, the great advance really came many years ago when it was recognised that patients with um, extensive burns, and again getting up around the 20 or 30% mark, um, got systemic effects and in fact developed um, a lot of capillary uh, leakiness, which meant that they lost a lot of fluid into the extracellular space and also through the burn wound. And... Uh, that that was actually a very large amount of fluid and, and needed to be replaced. So then once that's been recognised, the, the sort of finer details of what fluid um, should be used and in, in what patients and, you know, taking into account comorbidities and that sort of thing, um, that's pretty fine-tuning. And uh, I think there is a significant variation so that the, the um, various... Um, protocols for fluid resuscitation really need to be um, used as a starting point and and then as based on the clinical response uh, they need to be uh, changed in response to that
0: and so as a starting point for, um, perhaps people who don't regularly work uh, in a major burn centre or somewhere that doesn't see acute severe burns regularly, mm. is the sort of modified Parkland formula still a good starting point yeah. for people?
1: Yes, it is. Um, and uh, crystalloid is, is, seems to be completely adequate um, as a starting point based on the Parkland formula. Okay.
0: Once the initial resuscitations occurred in burns and they've, uh, people have you know, used, for example, the Parkland formula or similar um, to guide the resuscitation in the first while, in the burn centre, what do, what do you do once the patients arrive to the burn centre and they've ended up um, having received quite a large volume of fluid? How, how do you then take the next steps with, uh, with looking after them?
1: Well, uh, they haven't always um, received a large volume of fluid, Mm. uh, and sometimes they've received a very large volume of fluid. So uh, one of the main things that we see not that infrequently is an inadequate assessment or an inaccurate assessment of TBSA. So if you get that wrong, significantly wrong, you're you're going to get your formula wrong, and um, we do see um, not infrequently that, that it just hasn't been calculated correctly, um, obviously the patient needs to be assessed in terms of urine output and all of those kinds of things and, um, and the fluid resuscitation, um, you know, continued uh, on the basis of the clinical picture.
0: Yeah. Um, so again, you know, keeping on the theme of the fact that a lot of people don't regularly or routinely manage acute severe burns, do you, do you think you can sort of pinpoint what some of the common mistakes or pitfalls that people who are the occasional burn care provider make uh, and and perhaps provide some guidance from your experience about how to um, better look after burns in the the non-major burn centre?
1: Well, yes, there are um, guidelines for the acute management of severe burns patients uh, on our website, vicburns.org.au. Um, and it basically um, relates to uh, resuscitation and obviously um, the usual trauma surveys need to apply because patients with burns, um, it's easy to see the burn and uh, forget that that often these injuries occur in the context of other sorts of um, trauma, especially uh, house fires, electrical injuries, motor vehicle accidents... But the patient uh, does need to obviously have first aid in the, f- in the first instance, a trauma survey. They need to have uh, IVs cited, uh preferably through non-burnt tissue if that's doable. Ideally, we like to have a, a catheter in to help monitor the adequacy of resuscitation. The patient does need to be kept warm, and that's often problematic because a uh, large area of, of damaged tissue that's moist, um, the patient will very rapidly become hypothermic, so we encourage the use of just a simple thing like um, plastic cling wrap um, to cover the burns to stop the evaporative heat loss, and then uh, over that um, bear hugger or whatever other means to keep the patient warm because they very rapidly become hypothermic and then uh, coagulopathic, and then it becomes very... Hard to warm these patients up, and if they're too cold, we can't take them to theatre. Um,
0: thanks. So, uh, I guess also with with that in mind, the um, the the issue of what to do over the next seventy two hours. So the patients had their initial reception at, uh, at the burn centre. They've had their perioperative care over the the next sort of forty eight to seventy two hours. Can do you think you can pinpoint? Um, uh, a number of key things or even just one or two key things that you think that people who are looking after burn patients can do in the perioperative period that have uh, the potential for significant downstream effects um, that may improve their outcome or their um, morbidity or their,
1: their quality of life downstream? Well, uh, as I said, the importance of keeping, firstly, um, adequate resuscitation. We've recently done a study on our patients that shows... Uh, a fairly uh, significant incidence of uh, renal impairment, kid- acute kidney damage, which uh, w- generally speaking we think correlates with problems, you know, further on uh, down the line and um, the presu- we think that some of that is going to be avoidable or minimised at least in, if we adequately resuscitate patients and that's that's quite tricky and especially in the elderly to... Um, hit that spot without overloading them, but um, adequate resuscitation is absolutely, uh, we'd consider a key point. As well as that early feeding, uh, there is uh, reasonably good evidence that early feeding is associated firstly with, um, firstly that it's safe. Uh, So patients with major burn do tend to um, develop ileus, but um, there's some evidence that that uh, if you get in and feed them early, that's somewhat protective against that. How early? Uh, Well, you have to... um, We like them to be fed within 24 hours. Obviously, uh, we would... If they're intubated, that's not an issue, but if they're going to go to theatre, then we'd like them to be intubated before the feedings uh, started. But um, once they're in hospital and intubated, we would feed them through numerous theatre trips if they remain in, intubated in ICU. Um, the other thing that early feeding protects against is bacterial t- gut translocation. So uh, that is a, uh, also a very important thing. And, and feeding, them, feeding burns patients um, o- over the first few days, but then obviously during the whole of the course of their surgical treatment is absolutely key because they have huge metabolic demands. Uh, and once you get behind uh, in their feeding, it's very hard to catch up. So we do um, emphasise a lot the need to avoid unnecessary fasting in patients. What's um, what's bacterial gut translocation? Thanks for asking me that. <laughs> <laughs> Naturally, as a plastic surgeon, I'm pretty up to date on that. Um, well, the uh, normally there's obviously a lot of bacteria in your gut and... Um, in various conditions, and burns is one of them, that um, mucosal barrier against bacteria entering into the systemic um, circulation um, is is breached, oh. and so um, there is the possibility of, of bacteria um, either... There's some, some thought that it can uh, colonise the burn wounds, but also just um, add to that whole problem of of, uh, systemic inflammatory response syndrome.
0: Okay. Um, Which leads nicely into the next sort of question I was going to ask you, which is about infection in the severe burn patient. So I guess the the burn patient with greater than 20% total body surface area. Um, I presume that infection remains a significant
1: problem for this patient group. The major cause, sepsis and and multi organ failure, is major cause of death in in burns patients that are being actively treated. It's relatively uncommon with a with an active surgical um, management regime, but um, obviously anyone who's going to have a prolonged course of um, Open um, wounds—that's going to go on for weeks—is is is very prone to wound infection, plus all the other infective complications of being in intensive care and intubated, and uh, lines having uh, intravenous lines in as well. And you know, obviously, this is perhaps a bit of an unfair question to ask because there is no
0: clear answer to it, Um, and obviously, it's multidisciplinary—the sort of decision making that goes into the management of, of. Infection in burns patients, but do you have an approach that you take to try and um, differentiate the patients who are burnt who need antibiotics versus the <coughs> ones who just have inflammatory response and are febrile and inflamed? Um, how do you just, how do you kind of try and make that decision?
1: Well, I ask the intensive care physicians, <coughs> but um, the the um, issue with Infection in burns patients is obviously, as you, as you alert, alluded to, uh, pretty complicated because of all all of the usual signs of infection, are really just the normal things that go along with being uh, having uh, extensive burns and open wounds. So a lot of the things like you know raised temperature and raised white cell and those kinds of um, features don't really correlate very well with invasive um, wound infections, in particular, is what my main uh, concern is so um, there are other features that might suggest that a patient is um, septic rather than just severely burnt and and they're things like um, increasing um, inotrope requirements, um, hypothermia, low platelets, all of those Sort of kinds of signs of advanced um, organ failure as well, so um, it, it can be difficult. But in general, uh, we have a very strong relationship with the infectious. We have a specialist infectious diseases physician for the burns unit, mm. who also works in ICU. So we get a uh, we we have an expert who has a um, broad overview of patients as they're going through their. Uh, clinical journey, which, as you're aware, often lasts for weeks or or months. But in general, the principle is to um, only treat for short periods of time in patients who we think are significantly at risk of being septic or having invasive infections, and also to cover uh, perioperative events like um, skin grafting, because obviously in patients with very extensive burn injuries even though we have a a variety of of skin substitutes ultimately patients have to be grafted with their own skin and and their donor sites are very precious we don't want to lose grafts and we don't want to lose donor sites due to infection so we have a sort of uh, reasonably I guess permissive um, approach but targeted according to routine bacterial surveillance so we take a lot of wound swabs um, to start start antibiotics um, when we think somebody is either needing cover for surgery or because they're sick and then uh, stopping them fairly as soon as we possibly can. Yeah. Um,
0: and I guess the, the sort of the last question or kind of area of discussion that would be, be nice to um, get some of your experience or your thoughts based on your experience is obviously there are some patients who um, present with such severe burns that the likelihood of them ever making a, a meaningful recovery or, or any recovery is small. Um, is there a way of predicting those patients and is, is there a way of making early and clear decisions that you think can, can help in end-of-life decision-making or discussions with the, the patient who has, say, you know, greater than 80% or greater than 85% total body surface area burns? And, and is there, a, I guess what I'm asking is, is there a way of risk stratifying patients yep. um, who present whether they have patient factors or, or burn factors that mean that, that um, futile care is, if we were to resuscitate it, would be considered futile?
1: Yes, well, as you know, the concept of futility is one that tends to recede <laughs> as you try to get closer to it. But um, w- we obviously do have a way of um, stratifying for risk. Um, we've, uh, at this hospital, published um, the uh, mortality outcomes for burns patients in intensive cares in in uh, Australia and New Zealand. And that, we've got that, um, there's a thing called the Beam calculator, which is on the um, which on the has a website, and you can punch in um, gender, size of burn, age of patient, and if you know it, their um, their Apache school and it will spit out a um, risk of death based on um, this data that's been um, collected over several years from multiple sites. Of course the problem with that is that it kind of gives you a percentage but it doesn't really um, and it, it puts you in the ballpark I suppose and, and assists you in discussions with the family and potentially the patient also um, but it's there's a it's a lot more complicated than that obviously and it doesn't you can't really base your decisions on on a statistic but we do know that that um, size of burn, is obviously a major determinant of risk of death, um, but so is age and comorbidities and, and the presence of an inhalation injury. And gender does seem to have some effect as well. So,
0: In which, in which direction <clears> does gender have an effect?
1: Well, in our study, uh, women did a lot worse than, than men. but And that's uh, there are some other studies in which that's been shown to be the case as well, but it's not by any means um, that well-established. But in, in our cohort, it was a, a significant um, risk factor.
0: And presumably no clear indication as to why that's the case?
1: Or uh, no. Uh, we think there, that women uh, respond to inflammatory stimuli and, and sepsis differently from men. And and it, there are gender differences, obviously, in other areas of medicine, but uh, I'm certainly you know not up with all of the finer points. But um, there are... There are burn injuries that are obviously um, just when you do the maths, technically impossible to really envisage a way in which a person will be able to um, get through multiple surgeries and still have enough donor sites to um, get the wounds covered in a in a reasonable or, or in any sort of time frame. And then there are more complex um, decisions that have to do with quality of life. And obviously in those situations, and especially in the elderly, um, it becomes you know necessary to try to get an idea about the patient's um, wishes and, and uh, choices and also um, dis- in discussion with the family. So uh, it can be quite a complicated process and... Um, Sometimes not possible to, to sort of make that decision straight away, but I would make the point, which you alluded to, that that their, patients will not succumb to a burn injury rapidly um, if they're resuscitated. And it's in nobody's best interest to sort of give it a go and see what happens because subject the patient, their family and the staff to a, a lot of futile treatment, which is ultimately um, not going to be in anybody's best interest. But it, it's, it's an interesting area and we've, we've published uh, on that as well.
0: Um, Heather, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Um, it's been a real privilege um, hearing uh, about your experience and your, your expertise in burns. Um, so thanks very much.
1: Thank you you <music>